So welcome back everyone. If you joined us in the last episode, then you would know that this is a two-part series. In episode 11, we talk about Hallyu as a larger political and cultural force, one that has many reaches in different places around the world. In episode 12, we talk about Hallyu as a more personal force, one that has shaped my life and the lives of many others, whether positively or negatively. We look at ideas of fetishization and how powerful the media is when it comes to shaping ideas of beauty and desirability. So stick around and I think you'll enjoy this. Yeah, I've just got some responses to that. Uh, I'm not sure if you know this quote from Bong Joon-ho after he won the uh, the Oscars at the at, uh, for Parasite, and he or his translator said something about how subtitles were really just a one inch barrier, and taking this concept of subtitles uh, because Squid Game was just so popular, even in my workplace where some of the other people I work with, I wouldn't say they're necessarily like the quote-unquote target demographic for for K-pop or this Hallyu wave because a lot of them are older, they have children. So it, this isn't really like the demographic that they're going for. But I just overheard this conversation where this person, this other teacher asked this uh, other teacher, like, hey, have you watched Squid Game? And then the, the answer was, yes, I have. And then the other question was, did you watch it in English or did you watch it with subtitles? And what's interesting is the teacher responded with like, of course I watched it in subtitles. Like how could, how could you even suggest that I would do otherwise? And I think if we had this same conversation 20 years ago, like if we could reverse the clock and go back to 2001, I don't think that's how this conversation would have played out. So apart from really promoting Korea, I think, and I agree with you, the Hallyu wave has almost killed the monolith of very American-centric media. And it's opened the way, obviously, for Korea. And right now I'm just singing, basically repeating what you said, but it, it will open the door for the rest of the world because this idea of like global languages or, or global culture and not it not just being rooted in a single economic or cultural hegemon. Yeah, for me, um, I've been talking to some friends about it, and there's also been discussions on the internet about how like the English-speaking community of the world is just now seeing what the rest of us have been going through all along. <laughs> you know, like watching things with mm. subtitles, listening to music from different countries that you have to translate to yourself and things like that. I think it's a huge moment for this Western English speaking part of the world. And I think that's really powerful because this part of the world has been the largest exporter of cultural content. And now sort of they're getting to know the rest of the world and what the rest of the world has to offer. And I think it means a lot for the political, economical, and the entire philosophical aspect of the future, basically. 
-hmm. And I think technology has played a huge part in it as well. But I think we're heading towards something much more heterogeneous and colorful than the things we experienced before. Yeah. So um, I have a question for you. You said that I can ask you a question. I have a question because uh, you're of Asian descent, as I understood. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, were you born in Australia or did you grow up there? Uh, So I was born in Australia. um, But yeah, family comes from East Asia. So I was wondering um, for you, because you've grown up in the diaspora. I don't know. Do you call it that as well? Mm-hmm. We do because we in Bosnia we have like I think sixty percent of our voting population is in diaspora. Really, so, and I've lived in the U.S. as well for some time, and um, I've experienced sort of being in. I was in a ghettoish kind of uh, space and living with a lot of a lot of other Bosnians and people from the Balkans. Mm-hmm. So um, I was wondering, sort of. How does this feel for you, I guess? Like, even the Korean wave and this entire... It shines a light on the complete... On the complexity, entire complexity of the East Asian culture. You know, like, there's also a film like Crazy Rich Asians and all all of these things that are becoming popular now and things are starting to get mainstreamed. So I was wondering, like, because you were born in Australia, does it feel weird or is it good? What's it like for you to sort of feel that, see that happening, all of this? Mm, that's, a, that's a really good question. And, oh, there's just so, so much to say. Okay, I would say at the very beginning, when, I, when K-pop first started getting some inroads into Australia, so obviously it might have started earlier in other countries, especially Asian countries, and maybe in America, it, had, it might have had a bigger influence quicker. But I, I would say around 2016, 17, that's when I first started hearing some household names, which if you say BTS to anyone under, you know, 15 or, you know, under 25, like they know who it is. So at first, I would say, and I think this is relatively common. So I don't think this experience is, is uniquely mine that I was a bit hesitant. And actually, I'm not sure if the word embarrassed is right, but it's not particularly wrong either. And the reason is because if you're a minority, a lot of the way that people understand you is actually through media, right? They watch they watch how media depicts a certain ethnicity, a certain demographic, and then they think, okay, everyone else is from that demographic is, is exactly the same because I never interact with them. And this is what I see on TV 24-7. So because of that, I think minorities are, spe- are especially aware of how they're depicted because the depictions are usually very 2D, right? It's not like, for example, if you are, I guess, a Westerner, if you're Caucasian in the West, you have roles where you're good, you're bad, you're evil, you're smart, you're dumb, you're athletic, you're slow, you're intelligent. Like you have the whole range of everything. And I think because of that, I was very hesitant to attach myself or get to know it because it's almost like the embarrassed, you know, the embarrassing parent story. Like you don't want your parents, you know, to say something embarrassing and then it reflects on you. 
And that's how I felt towards this Hallyu wave. I was like, ah, oh, this is weird. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, there's so many people in a group. Like, this is just so strange from my quote-unquote cultural sensibilities. Um, but I think what happened was inevitably it just got so big that I couldn't ignore it. Like, you can't actually turn on the radio without hearing BTS. And it got to a point where I was like, you know what? Like, I'm I'm going to sit down and actually listen to it. Um, but what was interesting was, and even though this might not be what you think of when you think of Hallyu, even around 2016, 2015, started really consuming a lot of Korean indie music. Now, it lacks the flashy, you know, pretty girls and pretty boys dancing and doing backflips. But I guess you could say that's a segment of Hallyu. Uh, so, you know, I was slowly, slowly working my way up to, you know, some bigger names, um, you know, BTS or, you know, GOT7 and stuff like that. Overall, my feeling is I am glad for it. Even if we remove myself from this equation, you know, I am East Asian. So let's just remove myself. I really do resonate with what you said. Um, I hope K-pop or Hallyu allows more people to appreciate cultures which are not just the dominant one i hope one day if korean culture ever becomes like you know the dominant aesthetic that something else would kind of knock it down so that there is not just one hegemonic cultural identity so in that sense i guess i was i guess i am not even was like glad that there are people on tv or in music that look like me that when people think of me it's not always just as like a nerdy librarian or you know, like a, a person who can't throw a football. I have more depictions in media. Now, obviously, media, there is still problematic parts to this. Um, there are certain stereotypes, even in the K-pop community or even in Hallyu, that get pushed. And then obviously that becomes, you know, more and more uh, solidified in the cultural consciousness. And I was speaking to a friend about this, like, you know, crazy rich Asians, Firstly, it glorified like a certain type of Asian, like a very wealthy, very East Asian, um, very like Western centric. Like, you know, they could all speak English. They all have multiple passports. It really glorified that type of Asian. And I just remember talking to a friend like this is a really bad time for this like stereotype to take place when America is like hell bent of like starting a trade war and like maintain keeping you know, the power dynamic, like this is not a good stereotype. I want people thinking when they see me, you know, with the pandemic and everything. But overall, I would say I am glad, you know, as an East Asian, uh, but just as a person who wants more cultural appreciation to happen in the world. Yeah, I, I was wondering, because when I lived in the US, um, there were a lot of depictions of Balkan ethnicities and bosnians and there was su such weird depictions like mm. it's either victims of war because angelina jolie made a film about the bosnian war and either that or it's like in dramas or films it's like this mafia guy that speaks like this and you know things, <laughs> the Balkans and things like that so it's really weird for me when people started you know like thinking that I was from that sort of crazy, uh, wild part of the world. Everyone's killing each other and everyone's, you know, 
speaking like this and being, you know, like tough and things like that, mm-hmm, <laughs> when mm-hmm. actually it's nothing like that. A lot of people think the country is still war torn, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's <laughs> completely functional. So I was wondering because I hated it. I was literally like, no, please do not watch any of those films. Please don't <laughs> don't consume any of that. Um, that's why it was interesting for me. But I also have another question for you. Yes, please. <laughs> and it's related to now, you know, like a lot of people say like, wow, it's great. You know, East Asians are mainstreamed in the media and stuff like that. But there is a huge movement of like, I would say fetishization And, like, a lot of people are now obsessed with, especially, like, East Asian men. And there are, like, movements of girls and maybe other men, I don't know, who are viewing, you know, like, the Asian race as something completely different than what it is. I mean, I talk to a lot of these people, and it's really weird to hear people speak. Like, I know girls that actually just like Asian men. Like, literally, they have created it into their own sexuality. Like, there is, they don't like anyone else anymore. So I think that would feel really weird, especially, like, if you are, like, an Asian man and then you get into a situation where you don't know, I guess, is it because of the culture and things like that? I don't know. How do you feel about that? It's just really interesting for me. Mm, that's a, it's really astute question. It so I've experienced it before and honestly it makes me really uncomfortable and it feels very bizarre because I would say for like the first 20 years of my life I got the complete opposite reaction right because of you know media's uh, certain media representations like I would say the reaction was like complete 100% opposite um so when it started happening and it's happened a few times I just feel very strange and there's a question which happens in my mind which is like am i just like a piece of meat with like a yellow wallpaper or like a yellow paint on it and you feel dehumanized i i, I felt dehumanized now not all interactions go like this you know sometimes it can be something small like hey i really like parasite or something like that and they talk to me about parasite and it's fantastic but i've experienced more extreme versions not often not it's not like i'm walking down the street and people like you know throwing their wallets at me and you know proposing to me on 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 the street nothing like that but i have experienced more uh extreme examples of fetishization and i uh it, it just feels weird because here's really what it is i am no longer a human being i'm a concept i'm an abstract concept that has you know, the perm or that brings flowers to every day, or I, you know, I have a really nice car or an apartment or something like that. Like they've watched so many dramas now that when they see me, they have so much, so much cultural baggage that gets associated with me. And because of that, there is this feeling of like, I already have a box to fit into. Now, arguably this might be better than the previous box that I was fit into, or a lot of East Asian people were fit into. But it is still a box. It is still certain requirements, certain restrictions, certain ideas of who I am that need to be um, that need to be you know, fulfilled. So I would say, what I want this movement to do is to fight back against some of the old stereotypes which were very prevalent in media, but 
and, and this is a big but because I'm talking about this like, you know, if I was a philosopher king, this is what I would do in society. But obviously, a lot of this is based on economics and what sells. But I would say, okay, once you get to a certain degree, I would try to push another idea of beauty or another another idea of what it means to be Asian. So it's not just, you know, crazy rich Asians. And if you think about the, the hell you wave, it's firstly, it's very economically rich. Like it's, it's never about like poor Asians. It's never about working class yeah. Asians. It's ridiculously fancy. You know, they all wear, they all drive limousines. They all wear Balenciaga. They all have three apartments. It's this idea of crazy rich. And secondly, it's never Southeast Asians. And I spoke to my Filipino friend who I mentioned previously about the hell you wave and how it's like completely swept through the country. And I told him like, Hey, it's, I think it's really cool that the Philippines are getting another cultural input, which isn't America because for so long they were colonized by Spain and then they were colonized by America. And, you know, it's good that they have another piece of media representation, which is a little closer to home. But then I also said like, I really hope the Philippines are able to develop something. Because even if Hallyu sweeps through the country, not many Korean, sorry, not many Filipino people can actually look Korean, and thus they still end up like worshiping something which is not native to the country. So I guess yeah, those are my thoughts. I, I think it's got some incredible good, and whether I think it's good or not, like it's it's got so much energy behind it that it will happen anyway, and it's led to me feeling um, uncomfortable in some situations. Uh, but at the same time, it's also been able to challenge some, you know, certain stereotypes about me or other people in my demographic, which I, I am grateful for. So, yeah, overall, I would say I am grateful for it, but there are some drawbacks. Um, how how common is this that like girls will only say or in the Balkans or whatever, like they must you know be like this? Like, is I've I haven't run across many people who say that. Yeah. So I mean it's probably more prevalent in uh, spaces where you can say a lot of things, you know, mm -hmm. like in Bosnia, we're not really, it's very naive when it comes to different cultures, races, and things like that. We just sort of say what's on our mind, you know, because mm -hmm. it hasn't been like a country that is, that has a lot of different cultures or races. So um, for us, for us here in Bosnia, there is, a huge movement of i would say mainly girls that are fans of the k industry and you would even spread it around like they watch chinese dramas and they read mangas and things like that and i think it's sort of it's huge how they have completely they have decided to completely abandon everything that they've known about what kind of guys they like, what should a girl do? What should a guy do? What should, you know, uh, what should my ideal partner look like? And you have a huge movement of girls that are literally just in love with these K-pop stars and that want to move to East Asia so they can be, if not with a pop star, with an East Asian man. And that that's, was really that's weird crazy for me. to me. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine like being, uh, I mean, I experienced it. That's funny. I actually experienced a similar thing in Korea myself mm. as because they had not in US, but in Korea, they had very specific views 
about white, voluptuous, blue-eyed Slavic women, where uh-huh. there were, you know, Korean men who had very specific ideas about what we're like, what we're for, and how they can speak to us and things like that. Mm. So it was really weird for me, you know, to walk around and like a lot of people would hit on you, you know, like they would start conversation much more easily than they would with their, you know, like people from their country. And then they would Mm. think that you're like a very, very just displaced views about what our sexuality is, what our role in the world is and what we can do for them, (laughs) you know, because there is a lot of also like Russians, Ukrainians, uh, East Slavs all together that moved into Korea, you know? Yeah, Uh, actually, that's that's a question I want to ask you about. Uh, There is a huge Russian in particular. Now, there might be other uh, Slavic countries as well, but I see so many Russian uh, people or citizens or uh, foreigners in Korea. Why is it Russia in particular? Like, am I mistaken? And is it just because I guess they're beautiful and then they can go to Korea and get like modeling contracts? Like, why are there so many Russians in that country? First of all, I think there's a bit of that. I mean, it would sound weird to say like all Russians are there so they can be hot again. But um, um, I actually I had a friend who went um, to Japan and Korea uh, and she went there specifically for the purposes of being, you know, like followed around, being liked, going out on dates and stuff like that. And because everyone said you could be a model, you could be a model. While in Bosnia and Serbia, nobody was like you could be a model, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's this there's there's like a reverse it's like a two-way fetishization yeah so i think it's like a weird fetishization which you know fits both of the sides and also Mm. there is i think because russians ukrainians and even some people from the balkans that live there i think there is um also a strange cultural fit that is happening because um a lot of you know, Slavic communities have specific, you know, cultural customs that are much more similar to, let's say, Korean customs than they are to the Western world, you know. Like family first? Like family first, the idea of like collective, um, you know, it's it's good to do what others are doing because it it shows the belonging, not lack Mm. of individuality and things like that. And I would even say that for myself, I have much more of those values, like also the hierarchies, the fact that the oldest person means something means much more than it means in the Western world, like age differences, experience and things like that. So I think it's also like a cultural fit. And um, I think also it had to do with the K industry because there are a lot of fans in Russia and Ukraine, you know, and it just sort of happens that they get to go to Korea. And for me also, it was the thing where uh, you would go to Korea if you want to preserve the traditional aspects of your culture. If you want to, you know, live with this sort of safety of there is a hierarchy, there is politeness, there are these customs, you can't just do whatever you want and go crazy about it. Mm -hmm. But also there is this kind of, freedom and capitalist abundance and a lot of slav countries you know uh, don't have this feeling of 
color, you know, colors, abundance, everything, you know, like the market is free, consume whatever you want. They don't have this kind of feeling, but when they go to the Western countries, there is that, but there is also this complete lack of cultural, traditional norms, you know, so it, it's not a good fit. And for me personally, I lived in the U.S. and in Korea, and I ran from U.S., you know, as fast as I could because I could not stand the entire, you know, like this culture of per one person, one individual, their life, everyone else sort of meets you on the way. Uh, you know, you sort of like grab yeah. a coffee with a friend and then go to your therapist to talk about your problems and just sort of this, <laughs> a bunch of individuals just running around and meeting each other at different places. There isn't a feeling of, you know, you having a place in that world. And when I went to Korea, I was, you know, like a Slavic girl who barely spoke the language, but I felt literally at home. You know, because I knew very well how to respect the codes, how to behave, you know, how to do things like, for example, from in the group that I was in, a lot of people smoked and I smoke as well. But, you know, I naturally did not smoke in front of the older colleagues and, you know, professors and things like that. And I would leave somewhere. And then, you know, it's just natural for me to sort of do these things, but in other countries, it's irrelevant, literally, you know, and it was very nice for me to feel all of these traditions, like who eats first, who pays, all of these things are set. You don't have to, you know, like run around and meet people. And also the fact that when you actually get close to someone, it means much more. And I would connect this to the Russians and Ukrainians as well, because there isn't this, there is not this culture of just smiling hysterically at everyone. <laughs> oh, mm. In the U.S., there was this, you know, like politeness and smiling and excitement towards everyone. And everyone's very excited all the time. But very few deep connections are made, actually. You know, and it's very hard to establish a deep, deep connection. And I think a lot of people from my country, the Balkans, as well as Russians and Ukrainians, share this cultural value of, not being overexcited, not smiling at strangers and things like that. But when you do get into relationships and things like that, it's much more serious and deep mm -hmm. because it took, you know, such a long time to form them. So, yeah. yeah, for me, it was like feeling at home because of this. And I think also I, I would have to add, I don't know how much time we have, but I would just love to add the fact that I think the rest of the world, as well as, as well as the Westerners, everyone's sort of getting hooked on it. I call it like, I call it the, the blanket syndrome. The blanket syndrome. <laughs> yeah. It's a strange way uh, of incorporating traditions, culture, and, you know, ways of politeness into pop culture. I noticed that when I started watching like um, Korean variety shows, and you would see uh, girl bands, and they usually in their videos and stuff, they're wearing mini skirts. They look really, you know, I don't know how to call it, you know, sexy, intense, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then they would get to the variety show. They would perform in those clothes. And then when they would sit, every they would get a blanket and put it on their legs. Mm -hmm. And it was a very specific moment for me because I realized, okay, there is this capitalist... Um, 
consumer liberal moment of everyone doing their thing, everyone looking the way they want, everyone being, you know, as open as they want to be. But then when they sat down to talk, they would put these blankets over their legs, you know, and it was very important for me that I think that explained to me the appeal of the Korean culture export to the rest of the world, this mixture of getting everything that the American capitalist pop culture gives you, but keeping this sort of traditional, private, organized safety net that comes with such a deep and strong and long historically culture such as Korea, you know. Mm -hmm. They called it the blanket Mm -hmm. syndrome. The fact even that uh, so many people are falling in love with these Korean artists and things like that, because there is this feeling of things not being all out, you know, and I think it's becoming more and more popular. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've got one more thing to, to ask and one more thing to say, and, and I think we'll wrap it up there, yeah. uh, which is, so is South Korea going to get rid of the military laws in order to preserve the K-pop bands? I think no. May I may be completely wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of um the band members and a lot of the artists may get, you know, you know, they might find loopholes in the system for them as we've seen before, you know, they might go later. They might even be exempt at some moments and stuff like that, but I don't think this is going to go away. I'm certain mm-hmm. of that actually. Maybe I will be completely wrong and everything will turn out not to be true. But uh, as much as I know about Korean culture and living there and stuff like that, it's very organized and all of the things that are there have their meaning and have the reason for being there, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think this country in particular has become, you know, really, really good at keeping all the elements of their culture and their government alive, you know. So I think... um, they will make it work so that they can keep their, you know, legislation. They can keep the, what's it called? The, 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 the years in the military and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I think the K-pop groups and men and stuff like that, they might be exempt. They might go in later. But I think in a strange way, this is one of the things that is also appealing to the rest of the world. Even if, you know, fans don't want their favorite members to go to the military, the idea of it is one of the things that pulls you in even more in a strange way. Because there's like a, like a time limit or there's a expiry date. Is that what, what exactly pulls fans in closer to? Not necessarily, not necessarily the time limit or things like that. It is just the, we all love seeing the things that we, you know, make abstract like pop stars and things like that. Every moment of it being real is precious to us, you know? So mm-hmm. just like paparazzi try to take photos of celebrities and things like that in real moments for the fan bases around the world, this is, you know, a strong and constant reminder, reminder that these are, actual people and that they have actual you know obligations and things like that and also there is this 
there is like there is this entire concept of like you know saying goodbye to your artists when they're going to the military you know and welcoming them back following what they're doing there you know like pictures getting leaked from the military of <laughs> artists like there was things mm-hmm. from super junior band there were in the military two members unhyuk and donghe and so many paparazzis went to the bases and they took photos of them and stuff like that so i think the entire speculation and the talk about it it is what drives the thing forward so i don't think that's the reason i don't think it will go away just the talk mm-hmm. is there and that's good mm. and that's it so so basically uma has condemned bts to actually doing the service one day and they can't get out of it so sorry bts fans uh you heard it here first <laughs> yeah i'm a fan myself and i'm looking forward actually to see jimin and <laughs> other <laughs> members in the military it sounds weird but um i'm not the only one i think a lot of people are sad but also i have to mention when it was yugoslavia back here uh we had this also like military training and these masses of girls were saying goodbye to their men and their boyfriends and stuff like that they were like 16 or whatever 17 saying goodbye to these guys who would leave for two or three years to go tr- be trained and all i know about that is that it made it even stronger and the entire culture of like saying goodbye it hyped them up even more so i think the fans are sad but they love to be sad in that way so yeah <laughs> <laughs> what a what a bizarre and weird and uh, strange world that we've we've jumped into but um uma thank you so much for this uh, it's been super super enlightening enlightening and just the amount of feedback and information knowledge that you've thrown at me honestly fantastic so um we covered a lot today just you know what is hallyu how it affects east asia uh just opening the doors up for new cultural spaces and ideas and the effect on just media as a whole so thank you so much and any last words to share with the audience yeah thank you for inviting me it was extremely exciting and there's nothing i love more than just like talking for hours on end about something mm-hmm. as interesting as this it's been really fun and the podcast is amazing and i'm going to listen to it more <laughs> <laughs> thank so, you yeah thank you. thank you so much and I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and to the audience, thank you for tuning in. Uh this one was particularly long, but I think you get a lot out of it. So, thank you Uma and we'll catch you later. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning into Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and other places that can be found in the description.